Hey gang, Art Gnome here. Thanks for having me. Hey, how's it going, man? Happy to have you guys here. Thank you for joining us. It's going great. Hey guys. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on today. Super, super excited. I know tons of people in the audience are really excited. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we just jump right in and let's just get going. Um, uh, Jason, uh, you and Adam, would you guys mind just doing like a really brief intro um, just to sort of like catch us up on like sort of how you got into this and, and what your backgrounds are? Sure. You want to go first, Adam, or you want me? No, go for it, man. Cool. So, yeah, uh, I'm Jason Bailey, known as Art Gnome been collecting nfts since late 2017 did a bunch of writing um on the space early on and a lot of my articles uh had good seo and sort of became for the early generation of nft collectors sort of the the one of the gateways into the space uh among other things i owned the first x copy nft was the first collector on super rare owned the first three or four i think nfts there uh, came up with the idea for the Lost Robbies that we're going to talk about today. Um, fast forward to today, I run a company called Club NFT uh, that does backups for NFTs. Um, we can get into that later, but folks can check it out at clubnft.com. Really, we're all about preservation of NFTs and giving collectors the tools they need, um, sort of the missing tools in the space. And we also run rightclicksave.com, which is a great spot to uh, read about digital art in the, the NFT space. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably a good enough intro for me for now. Okay, perfect. Adam, did you... Yeah, I just lost my internet there for a second. So if I... Oh, nice. <laughs> okay, yeah, he might cut in and out, but I'll, I'll go off if he jumps back in. Yeah, Jason, I mean... I'm not even sure like where the best places to start. I mean, I guess like obviously a lot of folks in here are really interested about like Lost Robbies and sort of that story and whatever. I mean, do you want to like, I guess, start there and the genesis of like really that idea and how it translated into like reaching out to Christie's and, and working with them and, and just the mechanics of all that? Yeah, I'd love to. So, yeah, I, I my first experience with blockchain and NFTs is late 2017. So, uh, friend of mine, uh, Ahmed Hosni, knew that I, I had this blog, Art Gnome, where I wrote about art and tech, and told me that I should look into blockchain and art on the blockchain. We weren't calling it NFTs back then. And uh, unlike a lot of people in this space, I wasn't into crypto. Um, I didn't have any background in crypto, didn't have any interest in crypto or blockchain. But I had a lot of interest in thinking about ways to solve problems in art. So I wanted better provenance, and I had been working on a project to try to build a database of known works by 20th century artists because um, I had read that something like 10 to 15% of work is forged or misattributed. And that I thought that was crazy. So I was already trying to think about better provenance, uh, was a failed artist and was trying to think of ways to, to have a more equitable, better, honestly, like a new art world or a new mode um, that would be more fair for artists, particularly digital artists who were struggling because people thought they could see their work for free. So why collect it if you could see it for free? So thinking about ways to try to bring scarcity um, to art. And uh, my friend Ahmed said, well, you know, blockchain, it could actually help with a lot of that. So I wrote this article um, sort of at the peak uh, of, of early NFT interest, late 2017, early 2018, around the time of sort of 
crypto punks and uh, crypto kitties, uh, maybe more interestingly, projects like Dada NYC, I see the Dada folks here, um, and Rare Pepe's, uh, the Rare Pepe crowd had been pretty strong by then. So because I had good SEO for anything art and tech related, I got a lot of people reached out to me and wanted me to become sort of a speaker or help explain things. And um, I could either have told them that I was not an expert or I could agree to, to do a lot of those, uh, take advantage of a lot of those opportunities and just learn really quick. So I did the latter. I went to the, um, the Rare AF Festival in New York and met a lot of the people that I just mentioned um, that were working on those early projects, learned a lot from them. And one of the invitations I got was to uh, moderate a couple panels at Christie's uh, Art and Tech event. And at the time, Christie's and the traditional art world we're interested in the blockchain, uh, but not necessarily for digital art um, and, and what we think of as NFTs. Their interest was really, how can we use blockchain as a database to keep better track and provenance of sales for physical artworks? Um, so our panel um, at the, the Christie's event was really the odd one out, um, you know, with uh, me and Judy from Dada and Matt from um, CryptoPunks and uh, John Zettler from Rare Art Labs and Masha from, oh, geez, I'm getting old. I can't even remember um, the platform, but I'm sure someone else will uh, bring it up. Um, so we were definitely the weird, the weirdos at the, the uh, conference. People were kind of like, who let these people in? to talk about like digital art. That's not real art. That's not like a thing that we collect. We just want to talk about like provenance for, you know, analog uh, artworks. And you can kind of see it in the video, right? There's this video of this whole conference for folks that are curious. Um, there were great presentations by folks like Anne Bracegirdle. Um, she did a phenomenal job and it's a name that maybe not as many people know, but was really important early on. Bernadine Brockerweider, Anna Bracegirdle, Elliot Safra. Those are the, the folks I think that I dealt with primarily, um, and maybe Naomi Davies. Um, they were the ones that invited me to come speak, and they had decided that um, presenters could put something into the goodie bag that they were going to give away. Um, initially, they were going to charge, you know, so like vendors could pay to put something in, and there was like a list. I Maybe I'll, I'll email or I'll tweet the list out too, because I know folks that own these now are really interested in collecting like uh, historical documentation and provenance and stuff. So there was actually a list of how much it would cost to put different things in the goodie bags. And I was footing my own bill. So I was like paying to fly myself over there um, to, to talk to all these people about digital art and this new art on the blockchain thing. So I asked if I could put something in for free and they said, yeah, um, you know, that, you know, that sounds good. What do you have in mind? So I started talking to Robbie. By then, Super Rare had just launched, and I asked the Super Rare guys if I could be the first collector on their platform because I had fallen in love with Robbie's AI art, um, GAN-based uh, artworks. I had seen, I, I, at the time, was working at a machine learning slash AI startup in, in Cambridge, Mass. So working with some of the smartest folks around from uh, Harvard and MIT, um, on AI and, and had a good grasp of it and had seen earlier AI art created pre-GANs that really didn't do much for me from an art perspective, style transfer and things like that, just wasn't excited by it. 
But then I saw Robbie's work and it felt like, I don't know, it just felt like super new and fresh and amazing, you know, the nudes in particular. So I uh, arranged to collect two works from Robbie on Super Rare, the first two Super Rare tokens, I think, um, and thought, well, love the Super Rare guys. They're doing an amazing job um, and love Robbie's work. Maybe, you know, we could help the world figure out what this whole art on the blockchain thing is by giving all of these like, you know, uh, serious collectors that are like at this Christie's event, um, an actual NFT, right? But I'm not super technical. I've worked in tech my whole life, um, but on the marketing side and on the design side. Uh, but and my family is, you know, really technical and I had this technical blog, but I, I don't know how to like, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't have known how to do uh, execute on this on my own. So went to the super rare folks and asked them to, um, to, you know, help create these paper wallets. And we wanted them to, to seem like valuable, at least more valuable than just like a piece of paper, like a traditional paper wallet. So we chatted about it. And I think it was the super rare guys that came back to me and suggested that we go to um, ether cards, use ether cards as a solution. Um, and ether cards is a company they've pivoted. So their site doesn't look like it used to, someone might be able to use the Wayback machine on the internet to, to get a sense of what their site looked like in 2018, but they were primarily a business that was helping people make higher end paper wallets uh, at the time. So with that being their business, uh, we felt like we could trust them um, at the time, um, you know, to, to make sure that they destroyed the uh, passphrases and things like that, because their reputation, you know, for the sole thing they do um, wouldn't go, you know, would be destroyed if there were any issues. And um, I think the other thing to, to sort of say up front, and I don't want to say everything because I want to make sure that there's question, you know, room for more questions, but is that people really have to sort of reset their conception to, to think back to those days. I know some of the questions might be around like, you know, how secure was it? And like, did you do like, you know, like go through like all these precautions to make sure that everything was like super duper safe? And while I think, you know, the super rare guys did a, a commendable job, you know, a really good job, we weren't thinking of these things as like half million dollar each, you know, um, scratch cards or NFTs or whatever. We were thinking of them as being, my estimate is worth probably about 33 cents each. And, and let me share why I think that. So I had just bought nude number one and nude number two for about $100 each. And these 300 scratch cards um were supposed to be a single work robbie didn't want to introduce 300 works into his personal catalog out of nowhere for free um so he, it was important to him that people understood that they were like fractional parts of a single work um and intended i think i believe they were intended to be animated so the reason that you know we didn't feel like we were protecting the nuclear codes or whatever we felt like we were protecting you know 333 cent giveaways from goodie bags that we kind of had an inkling that, you know, old school collectors weren't going to understand. Um, but we thought it was import an important step in pushing forward what we thought was a really important um, culture and alternative to the traditional art world. Back then, there was no money in this, and it was really um, a bunch of altruistic people that were coming together to propose a new art world because we felt like the old art world for various reasons wasn't serving most of the artists that we knew. Um, so that was really what, what sort of the driving force was. Maybe I'll stop there. I sort of famously talked forever and I want to make sure I give 
everybody <laughs> chances to ask more more questions, more specific questions. But I think that kind of lays the groundwork. I, I love it. And I love the, the framing of it because, uh, you know, the idea that, you know, somehow people were visionary and thought these were going to be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars is just nobody on earth thought that. Right. And so um, I think, you know, we're, we're never going to maybe have perfect answers. I know a lot of the community is, you know, yeah. How were these protected? Or, or is there a spreadsheet somewhere? You know, I think I think people have to kind of be open to the idea that, you know, it is what it is. It's from a different time, um, you know, almost. But one of the questions that I know people have uh, would love to hear more about is, you know, the idea that there were originally 300, but then you did some clarification about, no, there were actually only 250. Can, can you tell tell a little bit, tell us a little bit more about that? So the, the email that I sent out, yeah, I woke up at like two o'clock in the morning for whatever reason this morning. Um, but um, when I was looking through Twitter, I was like, oh, I'll send something out to like some documentation that folks maybe haven't seen. So I went back through my email uh, chain and my correspondence with Christie's. And I, I believe what happened is that we offered up 250 and they came back and said, well, we have 300 attendees you know, can we, um, you know, can we get 300? Um, and we went to Robbie and I believe Robbie said, yeah, you know, we can, I can curate um, an additional 50. So for folks that don't know with GANs or generative adversarial networks, they generally output um, like near infinite variations or alternatives of an image into something called latent space pretty nerdy but it's just imagine being able to sort of um in some cases there's sort of like interfaces where you can navigate up down left right and get infinite variations on the image in terms of the number of potential outputs um it's i write i wrote about it in 2018 in my interview with robbie and i'll put together a twitter thread with like all the different interviews i've done with robbie and stuff like that so folks can go through and and you know i encourage them as much as possible to to get um, that sort of stuff, like in terms of intent directly from Robbie, um, rather than me trying to speak for him. But yeah, I remember it that we had sort of come up with the 250 and they liked the idea Christie's and to their credit. Um, and the folks that we worked with, you know, I, I sometimes pick on Christie's for sort of being old school or the collectors there for being old school, but to be clear, um, uh, Bernadine, um, and Anne and Elliot were all like super forward thinking, um, you know, and, and like really good to work with um so yeah i think the the 300 cards that we ultimately issued um was based on how many attendees um that were, were going to be there it's um it's so interesting I, I mean you know half of the chat is like do you think there are any you know who picks them up off the floor and stuff and I mean, it, it's funny because there's the great, I pinned it up top. I did a, a small thread this morning, which has that clip of you speaking, you know, where you're like, um, you know, hey, and I'd probably pay you for one, right? Um, but I think nobody approached you, right? You got you got no takers on that offer, right? Yeah, no no one uh, took, took me up on that. And I was not surprised, right? I think you can tell by the tone, not just of me, but the other panelists, that we knew what we were heading into. We're like, it's weird not to go like too divergently here or whatever, but like I spent half my life in art school and, you know, more recently have gone to different art fair events and gotten to know more serious collectors. And the, the difference between how sort of experimental and liberal 
artists are in their thinking in terms of, well, everything, but how to use new technologies and how to like do things differently and change things or whatever, like super experimental. But often the, the art world, like as a system is much more conservative and slow moving. And there's some good reasons and some bad reasons for that. But, you know, it's not unknown. So we kind of thought, you know, that um, people weren't going to be like clawing into their, their goodie bags to get these things. And, and to be fair to them as well, art on the blockchain is kind of complicated, right? Um, you know, it maybe seems less complicated now because we all have the benefit of being on the other side of like the massive, uh, you know, media interest into NFTs and things like that. But if you're just someone who collects paintings and these nerds up on the, the um, you know, the stage are like, well, there's this like digital money and you have to get a wallet and install it in your browser and the token, you know, uh, shows up and, but you have to pay gas. We, like, you know, it's not, it's also not super surprising that, that people didn't necessarily understand it fully um, at, at the time. And they really didn't. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I do think, you know, I, I, I'm sure Judy's probably listening. Um, you know, she was on, certainly on the panel. And I remember people sort of yawning, crossing their eyes, and like some people kind of falling asleep and like thinking like, you know, like the, like really we weren't like the highlight um, of, of that. We were kind of like the, the sore thumbs. The, the joke to all of this is that um, the conference really became about GDPR. And it was kind of a downer. Again, anyone can watch. I think all the videos are still there. At the end, the consensus was like, well, blockchain's kind of neat, but the GDPR rules around people's data um, mean that it'll never really scale. Wah, wah. <laughs> you know? And like, meanwhile, we had given like, you know, uh, tried to give like the traditional art world an introduction to NFTs by literally de delivering them not only NFTs, but NFTs by like one of the most cutting edge AI artists. So like kind of double whammy, whammy, like silver platter, like here's the future of art for the next five years, if anyone's interested. And then, you know, of course we know what happened. Like most of the cards, you know, ended up probably in people's trash. Yeah. I think like, you know, I still say, you know, most of the world still doesn't get it right. We're in a kind of this tiny community, which does get it, but still the, the vast majority of the world, still doesn't understand the idea of, of ownership of digital items. Like it just doesn't ring for them yet. Um, so I still think there's this kind of huge, well, I look at it as an opportunity to kind of, um, you know, explain to the greater world, this idea of understanding ownership of digital items. But, um, but back then it's just a really hard sell. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah. One Sorry, thing I'll throw in called. too. Oh, sorry. Did I cut you off? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. One thing that I'll throw in, too, is that like when I say like, oh, we thought of these things being as being like worth a dollar or like, you know, 33 cents. I'm not trying to discount them. I actually think the fact that we gave them away, um, it's is, you know, an important part of the story. Right. So like it's like the, the Babe Ruth baseball card in the, the bicycle spokes. Um, or the Hank Aaron baseball card and like the bicycle spokes. The reason those things became valuable is because a whole generation of people didn't necessarily see them as like super valuable. And as a result, you know, um, it became rare. The ones that survived became more rare. And we also can't ever go back to it. We've lost our innocence, right? We can't ever go back to a time period post $70 million Beeple sale There'll never be a time when we can sort of innocently give away 300 NFTs without there being expectations that 
um, it's, you know, either going to, you know, do super well or that people could get rugged or this, that and the other. Like, you know, uh, it was just a simpler, a simpler time, maybe more naive, but also more altruistic and sort of goal oriented. So, yeah, anyway, I think that I definitely don't want to imply that these, you know, that I don't think these things are important or valuable when I talk about how we thought about them then. I just think it's important that people have the context. For sure. Vaughn, did, did you have a, yeah, yeah go I ahead. Do. I saw you had your mic. Go ahead. Uh, Jason, uh, both of you guys, thank you for coming on the show today. We appreciate it. Um, and Adam, also, you didn't get a proper introduction. So maybe after this question, you could tell us a little bit more about your story and your journey here as well. But um, the question I have is, you know, one of the things about NFTs that we all love is we have provable scarcity and unquestionable provenance. But when it comes to the lost Robbie specifically, um, the fact that there were 300 of these cards that were put out into the world and only whatever it is, 38 or 40 of them currently are known. The big question that I always ponder as a holder of one is, you know, how many more potentially are out there or how many might be sitting in someone's desk? And, you know, I, I guess I, what I would ask was, you know, were all the cards put into these 300 bags and they all went out the door? And so you can feel confident that there's not 20 sitting in someone's office in Christie's right now. And just kind of wondering, like, how confident do you feel or what, what is your expectation that eventually the final number of these at surface is going to be X? It's just kind of a supply question that always weighs on my mind a little bit. And in other collectibles where you don't have clarity, it's always a topic of conversation. So just kind of wondering if you could share uh, any thoughts on that or, you know, just giving your opinion, please. Sure. Yeah. I have very little confidence, uh, but I'm happy to share um, the context that I have that others may not have. Right. So here's what I know. Again, if we remember like Christie's wasn't thinking Jason and super rare have just given us these golden nuggets that we must carefully like put into these goodie bags and make sure only everybody only gets one because they're going to be worth so much. You know, those squeezy brain stress ball toys they give away at conferences. They basically saw this um, as being comparable to that, right? It's like, you know, these are, these are Jason. Every speaker has an opportunity to put a pen in or a pin or like a squeeze ball or something. And like, you know, this is Jason's squeeze ball, um, you know, going in. So, the idea that somehow Christie's would have like hoarded them or tried to hold some back or do anything fishy is is pretty unlikely. And in terms of what I saw and what I remember, and I can try to tweet some of these photos later too. I remember, I think it was after the conference, there was an, an announcement that after the conference, folks could grab a um, bag on their way out the door um, of the conference. Now, again, these people weren't like, holy shit, get out of my way. I'm going to try to grab seven bags because they have this amazing digital art in there. They're like mostly people that like still didn't understand what this was. And I know I often walk out of the conference without taking the swag bag because the swag bag's often just full of like advertisements and stuff like that, right? So I don't know how many people did or didn't take them. I do remember seeing at one point there were, you know, let's call it a dozen still on the table. I think there were some pretty like a handful of savvy folks who did know what, like who were there for digital art. Um, Zephotic, I think, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but a super early um, NFT collector. I feel like he was there and maybe took two bags or something like that again. And no one would have been like, how dare you? Because again, goodie bags at 
conferences are almost always seen as like throwaways, right? But he was just super smart and and like a lot of us saw the future and the potential um, in all of this. So, but even to like, so I, I guess let me answer your question first and then add a little bit more color. So c- could someone have, um, you know, a dozen of these somewhere and not have spoken up so far? I doubt it just because when they became so valuable, most of the people that found them or had them, um, you know, uh, put, put either put them up for sale or decided they wanted to keep them. Right. But they became pretty aware of them. Um, so I don't think someone would have seen them selling for, you know, half a million dollars or more and been like, oh, you know what? This market's super hot for these things. I'm just not going to say anything about the 12 I have, right? Like my guess is, you know, human nature that they probably would have, have sold them. Now that said, um, if some did show up, let's, let's say, and again, this is just my opinion. Um, let's say five or someone had 10 uh, and they came into the market. I almost think it would help the market um, because it continues the story, right? The thing that seems to be driving the value in these is that the story never quite ends. Um, so I think it's important actually that some period more, if, if I were holding these from a financial perspective, I would think it's more important that some periodically do show up so that the story doesn't end and become stale, um, rather than worrying that too many show up. And I'm sure enough people, you know, took their goodie bags, um, that there's a significant dent in the supply and I'm sure most threw them away. I mean, even I, you know, this is the, I guess is the additional color, Mine um, was in my sock drawer, uh, my like a dirty sock slash drunk junk drawer for the better part of two years. Again, you have to think context. By the time the Christie's uh, event hit in 2018, um, we were in more of a bear market than we are now, and it only got worse for the next two years. Um, ICOs had stained the the crypto market, and no one wanted to talk about or touch anything crypto related. And we were much smaller to begin with before we hit that that um, bear market, right? So uh, not only was it not a big deal when we released them, but whatever momentum we had had from early 2018 when these marketplaces like Super Rare thought, well, maybe there's enough here that we can build a market, it, it fizzled out through late 2018 and all of 2019 to where, you know, half or more of the marketplaces went out of business. So... Um, wouldn't be the, like the most logical sort of like the Occam's razor on what would have happened to these things. My guess is, you know, 90% of them went out the door um, or so with, with people that were at the conference and let's say, you know, 80% of those ended up in the trash because, you know, it's the kind of stuff you get in goodie bags. It's like stickers and random, you know, memo books and things. And um, you know, the, the remaining ones, I'm guessing most people stepped forward and said, hey, I have this and, you know, here's this opportunity in this market and I would like to sell it. Or they said, I don't care how much these things are worth. You know, I really am excited about digital art now and and I want to hold on to it. So I know that may not give you uh, tons of comfort, but like I can try to dig up the photo. I think it's me and John Crane from Super Rare, like standing next to the table and there's still some bags there. I do remember being a little disappointed that people weren't like jazzed about the bags and didn't fully understand what we were giving away. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's like a, like a giant cache of, of them somewhere. I mean, I did comment one time. Someone put that, put that video up and I said, I commented something to the effect of if you would literally told people they'd be worth half a million dollars in 
five years, everyone in the room would have laughed at you and said you were crazy. And that's what's kind of funny about it. Well, everyone in the room did laugh at me and think I was crazy, just to be clear, um, and, and as well as everyone else on the panel. Um, and, you know, while I didn't know they were going to be worth a half a million dollars, I do think our entire panel deserves credit for having seen that, like, this stuff did matter. Like, digital art does matter. Um, and this, you know, NFTs, even in the early form, um, were, like, solved some problems, right? So, like, we didn't know all of it, but, like, the famous clip, you know, is, is sort of me offering to buy them back. And it was because I felt like I was failing to communicate so many things at that moment. Like I wanted people to understand digital artists are the most important artists of our generation because they reflect the most important change of our generation. And like this artist in particular is using AI, which is like going to become really important to art. Like not that anyone thought so in 2018. And like there could be an entire market built around um, NFTs where instead of like the old market where a small number of artists make lots and lots of money, you know, maybe we can explore building a new market where you have things like royalties and all these other things that we thought were maybe a little bit easier than they've turned out to be. But like all, all the desire to try to communicate that um, and failing to feel like it was landing on the audience sort of manifested in me being like, fuck it. Like, uh, you know, I'll buy him back, you know, <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate the, the, the sentiment there. Jason, I'm really curious like this, about the scratch cards and sort of like the production of those. And, and can you talk about like, you know, like sort of how is that done exactly? Right. I mean, are you sitting there sort of like you've got like a pub key and, and a private key and you're sort of like, you know, attaching it to this the scratch card and distributing it, you know, is someone sitting out there with like you or otherwise, like with just a, a database, like an Excel document or something like that with like all this information and like, you know, how does that play into like the idea of like security around these things? Like, you know, as, as time goes on. Yeah. As the non-technical guy, um, you know, I, I really, I thought of the idea for this because I was offered by uh, Christie's to put something in the bag and, you know, reached out to Robbie to get, you know, his interest and approval first. But the, the reason Super Air was involved um, was because I couldn't execute on it, right? So as the non-technical guy, I went to Super Rare. Um, we did have, like, a if, if the Pixura Slack is still alive somewhere, I think it, it actually has more than even my own email in terms of what the discussions back and forth were. I do remember, even though we thought of these as sort of free giveaways, we were all nerdy and cared about blockchain and provenance and whatnot. So there were conversations about trying to do it as smart as possible. I do think it is the nature of paper wallets that somebody has to, um, a list has to be created and the human has to be, you know, made aware of them. I and mean, it's kind of the way paper wallets work. But I believe there was just one person, I want to say maybe John or Charlie from Super Rare that generated them and one person from EtherCards and some assurance like people weren't oblivious to the fact that the right way to do this would be to minimize the amount of humans in the loop but we also acknowledge the nature of giving away paper wallets requires that there be some humans in the loop right um and the reason why i don't get too nervous about it is because no one even on our teams no one thought these things would evolve to the price that they've evolved to so it's not like the ether cards folks were like these giveaways, I'm going to like make a, a secret copy of the file. They were just like, oh, another job, like, you know, some more cards, you know, another day. Right. Um, so, um, yeah. Now, that said, 
I don't know, maybe someone that used to work there that, you know, handled it, you know, didn't uh, delete the file or like, you know, left on bad terms or something. Are there edge cases where something could happen? It's really just speculation on my part. All I can do is share sort of the tenor or the, the, um, the feel of what it was like at the time. The, the Super Air guys may be able to weigh in a little bit more on that process or honestly even the ether cards folks i think what comforted me at the time was like if your entire company is based on not screwing up um you know the handling of passphrases you're probably going to take it pretty serious and that was their entire business model at, at that time um so yeah I, I generally i feel pretty okay about it as okay as you could feel about having given away a bunch of paper wallets which inherently introduces um humans into the loop yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the Pixar uh, stuff because, like, I think the URLs are, like, basically, they're not even, like, they're basically, like, proxies to IPFX, like, via Pixar, right? And so it's, like, even if, like, could theoretically, like, I don't know if Pixar is still around or not, but theoretically, could they just change the pointer and then it becomes, like, a different image or something? And, like, could, like, for using NF- NFT uh, or Club NFT, for example, does that even back up such a scenario? Like, what, like, what does that look like technically? Yeah, sure. So a couple things. So Pixar was just super rare before super rare. They just rebranded as super rare um, for folks that don't know what Pixar is. Um, so right before they launched, they they changed their name. So they are still around. Um, I'm assuming they still own um, the Pixar domain name. And uh, yeah, generally the way NFTs work um, most of the time, people love on on-chain NFTs, but it's like less than 10% of the time um, that things are fully on-chain. Generally, you have a token, and that token has links out to the actual artwork and the metadata. Uh, if you're lucky, you know we think it's a best practice to use IPFS. Um, I don't know fully how you know about whether or not that they can change the content or not, but I know that that is possible in some cases. Um, if you don't freeze the token. It's possible that the marketplaces that issue NFTs can actually change the the content. So if that is true in this case, um, and it's certainly possible that it could be true, um, yeah, that that's bad. Um, and backup wise for Club NFT, we just back up when you do the backup. We look at all the links out of the token, and we go and back up everything it's pointing to. So if someone changes what it's pointing to, we would back up what it changed uh, that into. We have talked about adding in a feature that almost keeps a historical record. So it like, you know, if there's a new backup, we could try to suss out if the content had changed and keep both the old stuff and the new stuff as a feature. Um, But it's not something we have in place now. So if you did your backup now and you got the file and then you did a backup in a year and they had changed the image, you would get, you know, your old backup would have the old image and your new backup would have the new image. Now, it's a best practice to freeze the token, right? Because you don't want, as a collector, you don't want to be collecting things where you have to hope and pray that the either the artist or the marketplace that issued it doesn't change it, which could get into like, well, why didn't Super Rare freeze it? Or like, maybe there, you know, maybe there's something devious there or whatever. But the thing we have to remember is like, it's a different time, right? A lot of the best practices we have today, I don't even know how long IPFS had been around in 2018. And rather than be like mad at super rare, I would commend them for trying to use IPFS in 2018. That's like super ahead of their time, right? Like, so sometimes I see collectors get mad at marketplaces for like weird approaches that were taken five, six, seven years ago. And I'm like, no, you should be celebrating these people. Like, 
they were trying to figure out how to build the, the infrastructure that we're lucky to have today. Um, and, and in this case, you know, I've known super air guys now five years, the founding team. Um, and there's been a lot of squirrely shit going on in the NFT space. I think we all know that particularly like 2021, 2022. Um, and I have, more trust in, in those guys as friends um, and as, you know, folks in this space when, and their intentions for the community um, than just about anybody else. So I don't know, I, I'd vouch for them to date, but that may not make people feel better. A whole lot of what NFTs were supposed to be about and decentralization and this, that, and trustlessness is that you wouldn't have to have any dependencies. Um, so yeah, if there's, if the tokens weren't frozen or they're able to change the, based on the gateway, they're able to change the images on IPFS. I think that's just something that you have to live with. But in terms of like worrying human, like quality human wise, like those guys are awesome and like have, in my opinion, always been about doing the right thing for the community. So you could, you could be a lot worse uh, off if you are in that situation. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Hi everybody. I just uh, I just wanted to add a couple of things, as, especially as somebody who's been uh, actually at the at the Christie's event in London, and um, yeah, just wanted to kind of touch upon a couple of, of things and maybe share a couple of stories. And yeah, there's so many just fun facts and details from that event that I still you know remember to this day. So yeah, maybe we can I can share some of them with you. So yeah, basically I wanted to kind of. Uh, um, just address a couple of a uh, couple of things we already mentioned. So the first one would be the whole situation regarding like cards and how many people took him and did they save them. And uh, to some of the points uh, brought up earlier, I just wanted to kind of raise, uh, you know, basically the from my experience speaking with a lot of people there, many of them actually flew in from US or from all around the Europe to attend the conference. And to be fair, the goodie bags were slightly bulky. So a lot of people actually like got the goodie bag, but many of them actually like just pretty much quickly skimmed through it and you know, few few blocks away or in their hotel room, they actually threw it away because it was Wait, a lot can, of... can you give us context to what was in that goodie bag? Because I've never heard that before. So get, tell us what was yeah. in Yeah. So basically in the goodie bag, there was like a couple couple promotional materials. There was like a, actually another card, which funnily enough contained, uh, uh, I think like, like uh, I don't know, 0.01 Ethereum or something like that from, I can't remember what was the name. I think it was like a a company that was also like doing this was i think they were doing like something with provenance or something was like it co- codex codex protocol maybe gordon i think so yeah 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 I, I think so so it was like there was that there was a there was like a there was like a little um, summary of all of the all, all of the panels uh there was some christie's promotional material there was i think also like a actual like cloth bag or something like that and yeah, there was a couple of other just like kind of promotional cards or something like that. I, yeah. So it was, it was a combination of things. So it's not like the goodie bags was just the, you know, super rare art gnome card. It was actually like a combination of, of a bunch of other things there, mm-hmm. which I think actually caused too many people to not even realize what, what the, the emphasis on the, on the digital artwork that was there. So a lot of people definitely just like even that got the goodie bag. A lot of people, first of all, didn't take it. Like the, the person when I was leaving, 
like there was a, there was a lady kind of like giving them a goodie bag and the person just waved like no 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 like <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hurrying up and the person in front of them also <laughs> said the same thing so you know there was a lot of people who just didn't even walk out of the event with, with the bags but the ones they did a lot of them actually traveled the next day or the same day like to a different continent or you know just had a flight so they pretty much i'm sure a lot of them didn't carry around uh huge uh, Christie's, you know, bag with them. So I think that that kind of adds to, you know, a lot of, a lot of cards actually being kind of pro- possibly lost, you know? Yeah, so it's funny how people are always skeptical of free shit. They're like, what's the catch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there was, there was this legendary uh, scene. Uh, I'll just quickly share it, but uh, it, it just got really, really uh, engraved in my memory, you know, and at the time I didn't really realize what I saw, but basically at some point during the event, I actually, um, I needed to go and have a toilet break <laughs> quickly. And as I walked out, I bumped into, you know, Jason and John. We were actually kind of the only people from, from, let's say the crypto NFT world <laughs> back then. So we were like very much, uh, being like um, in some capacity, you know, outsiders. So it was a completely different, uh, uh, yes, sentiment and like, uh, let's say, uh, ecosystem than now. There was like people kind of, kind of looked at us a bit as weirdos. You know, I remember even saying to some, like some collector asked me like, uh, what do you do? And I think actually Jason introduced me like, oh, this is Gordon. He's actually a crypto artist. And I remember this person was like, ha ha ha, like, what do you mean a crypto artist? Like, well, what is, what is, what is that? You know? <laughs> so yeah, it was definitely a totally different, uh, a different time in that sense. But it, basically to get back to the main story. So basically at some point I walk out to the, go to the toilet and I bump into Jason and John. And I'm like, yo guys, aren't you supposed to be inside listening to the talk? And they said, oh no, we have to take care of something. And as I look in their hands, they're both holding probably around 150 cards each in their hands, which now in retrospect, I realize were actually 150 lost Robbie cards in their, in both of their hands. So I think it's such a legendary scene that I actually, you know, saw all of these kind of <laughs> in, in one and like together before they were like, probably, I think they were actually like, uh, I mean, Jason, you can probably clarify this, but I think you were about to put them in the goodie bags or, or something but yeah anyway just uh, that was that was pretty <laughs> pretty amazing and yeah just just regarding like also super rare i just wanted to mention as especially as being one of the earliest artists uh to kind of mint there you know and at the time like i think me and x copy were the only london kind of based artists who were you know minting so i just want to say you know since i've been since like 2018 with them they're like for probably like the only theme that i can really 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 kind of believe will be here in the long run and as you can see they're like innovating all the time and really really thinking what's the best approach for the community and how they can like definitely preserve uh, everything that's on their platform and even grow and, and innovate so yeah and also wanted to say like even if the pixura domain was to go down one could use uh, their own ipfs gateway or, or some other public gateway to load the content so yeah, I just wanted to kind of clarify that. And yeah, if, if anybody has any other questions or, or, or things regarding the conference, I'm more than happy to to share. There's there's a lot of <laughs> stuff, but yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I just wanted to say I'm Judy from Dada, and this is like a, a, a wonderful trip through memory lane. And I'm glad that like Gordon clarified about the goodie bags because I 
I would have never touched a, a goodie bag because no one wants a goodie bag. But I believe that John Crane gave me and Bea the cards in our hands. And, and so, <laughs> because otherwise we wouldn't have gotten those cards, but, and we, we kept them, but, and, but I have to say, even us, you know, there was a QR code and there was this scratch thing and we actually didn't quite know exactly how they worked. And we kept them for many years. And when, you know, these things started to happen where like the price started going up in 2021, we tried to kind of claim them and uh, they wouldn't, they didn't work. There was something like there was some sort of mistake that wasn't working with my card. And I think Bell's card either. So luckily we are good friends with the super rare uh, people and we reached out to Charlie and he actually helped us <laughs> claim the cards. And uh, But the thing is that, that it is true that uh, even, even us at the time, we saw this card. I thought it was a fantastic object. I thought it was great, but it, it was kind of a thing to, to learn how to use them. The other thing that I wanted to say is that Jason is completely right about the audience. Uh, that day, you know, uh, we really looked like we came from a, a different planet. And I remember that we were talking seriously about all the promise that we saw crypto art would do and the blockchain would do to democratize art. Like they were only interested about provenance and authentication and stuff like that. And we were talking about, you know, more collectors and more art. But at a certain point, Jason was trying to explain, I think, the mechanics of having a wallet. And so he started talking about like he had a crypto kitty that he christened Lemoncello. I will never forget this. And that he wanted to actually transfer this crypto kitty to someone as a gift. So he sent it out to some address that turned out not to be the right address. And the Lemoncello crypto kitty was lost for all eternity. And I remember, and we were laughing, the people in the panel, Matt, John Settler, me, we, were thought, we thought it was a hilarious story. And I looked out into the audience and you could feel like the dead silence, you know? Like, Just crickets, like, right? Like, Just crickets. No, they didn't crickets. get it. <laughs> I think they were absolutely appalled because, and then I realized that most of, a lot of the people in the audience, appraisers, insurers there were the, you had those kinds of arts professionals that their entire business is where is the art you know the, their livelihood depends on where is the art right now and here is jason saying oh well, yeah well i lost the kitty and so just to give you an, an a sense of like really it was it was like we were speaking in a different language but uh, thanks for sharing these amazing memories and it's really great to be here shout out to Lemoncello <laughs> <laughs> no but honestly like one of the things that I find very fascinating is I, I see that event as such a crucial point in this in this moment where you know we're switching to a new era of ownership of digital assets you know and it's it's such a beautiful like symbolic place also where it happened you know in this like heart of this like uh, financial fine uh, like fine art market you know place <laughs> where it kind of happened and then we also kind of have you know this essentially like really important uh, you know artists for from you know the crypto art days and also like uh, I, I kind of see it as you know a really important moment in kind of the 
crypto art trend and also like the whole uh, AI art trend, which we see nowadays. And it's like, I think really beautiful kind of how, how it happened at that spot. And most, most of the people present weren't really aware of it or didn't really give it a chance or a shot at the time, or we didn't really bother even to understand as, as Jason said, you know, once the uh, GDPR kind of, uh, uh, panel ended there was such a grim dark energy that was just like ah you know well it was a good conference still now so you know whatever <laughs> we might as well go home and you know move to something else now no this is never gonna work and you know i just think it's like really really beautiful how also like these cards are physical and we're we're actually talking about like the audience was mostly people dealing with physical art but this physical card essentially is a was a bridge to this new dimension of digital ownership like this huge new crypto art world that was like at their fingertips like in their in their bags which many people just threw away and just really didn't even consider it or give it gave it a shot to kind of explore so yeah anyway i just and, and one more thing i wanted to add just uh, regarding what, uh, what what judy said um uh judy your your card or actually most of the cards that were later retrieved uh, it's not that the cards don't work. Uh, every card works, essentially. However, uh, just in order for Robbie's page not to look, uh, uh, I, I guess, just, you know, kind of uh, over-fulfilled with like 300 uh, NFTs that cannot be traded because nobody owns them, uh, essentially, most of the NFTs are hidden from the front end of Super Air. However, all 300 of them do exist on on the blockchain. And there is actually 300 NFTs, which you can explore them through through uh, like maybe OpenSea or, or other ways. You can actually see all of these unclaimed um, works of, of Robbie, which which is actually really beautiful. And I, and I really like kind of, you know, suggest that anybody who's really interested in, 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 in these artworks to actually go through other like other like i don't know 250 or 260 that are that are not claimed and really just like see what beautiful variations they are there's like some really beautiful pieces there like with amazing compositions amazing colors and i think like that should also be kind of highlighted and seen because i feel like those those works are kind of very much in the shadow however the, the unclaimed robbies are as much part of the of the you know claimed robbies you know it's one work as jason said before so just wanted to kind of clarify that yeah jason uh i know we're sort of enjoying the, the, the uh, all this stuff about robbies I have, I have a specific sort of question about i guess more robbie specifically and the work i mean like i don't know how much how, how much in, in touch you are with him like these days but like you talk about the arc of like when you first came to him with the idea and like generating the work and sort of the progression since then, obviously he's made some public comments about his disdain for NFTs and the financialization of them and things like that. But at the same time, like you guys went to Christie's and like sort of, you know, presented this work to the world to like, you know, serious collectors and, and things of that nature. So like, how did you envision that happening from inception to like where it is today? And, and sort of like, you know, what do you think about, about Robbie and, and his part in the process and his feelings about it, um, I guess, from then to current day. Yeah, happy to talk about that. So um, I think the theme of, of today of our conversation is like trying to imagine for folks that weren't necessarily there back then what it was like because the context was very different. And I think the, the thing that Robbie and I got excited about um, over this opportunity 
was the potential for NFTs to actually, um, you know, sort of democratize art. I mean, it, it sounds kind of silly now on the other side of all the speculation that came from NFTs over the last two years. But all of us that were in it early really were trying to build a, a new, better art world. Right. And I think that that was, you know, I was definitely more into NFTs than um, than Robbie was. He was never hardcore into it, but he was a digital artist that I was very excited about. And I came to him and was like, look, this this art on the blockchain stuff is super interesting because it's a way to make digital art more collectible. And like, you know, I can't think of an artist I'm more excited about trying to collect and support than you right now. Like your work is like super, super interesting. And that was sort of the conversation that led to me collecting nudes one and two, I think, on super rare. Um, and at that point in time, when I saw, you know, had that I had an opportunity to go to Christie's to an art and tech conference, I was like, well, geez, what better marriage than these two, right? And I think Robbie's always super, super thoughtful um, uh, about everything, to be honest, which is one of the reasons why I really liked him then and I really like him now. Um, and I think he thought, like, here's an opportunity for me to give these things away, right? It's a way for me to share my work with people um, that might appreciate it. And that's not how it happened, right? We gave it away and no one appreciated the art. Most of it got thrown away or not looked at. And then a giant market exploded a couple of years later and people raced to get them because they were early, not because they necessarily loved the art. Um, so sort of, a, I mean, you know, yes, he made some money off of it, but sort of from an art perspective, a shitty experience for him, right? And I kind of share as I think a lot of the early NFT collectors and proponents of NFTs do, I kind of share some of the misgivings around the way things turned out and became like hyper-financialized, right? So I actually respect him more for having walked away after it became hyper-financialized and no one seemed interested in his art, um, not less, right? Um, and I know, you know, sometimes people are like, well, you recently said, you know, Jason, that like, you should only buy NFTs from artists that actually understand and care about NFTs and the community. How does that jive with Robbie? You know, because he clearly he's not into NFTs and doesn't want anything to do with them uh, anymore. And I would say when, when I make that statement, I'm saying people that have publicly said NFTs are stupid or had no interest, but maybe have some profile as an artist and are only cashing in, like coming in to make NFTs to extract money from this community and then walk away. Those are the people I say don't need our support. Um, they're literally just here to extract money. What Robbie did is actually the opposite of that. He came and gave away um, 300 NFTs, you know, uh, early on when there was no reason to believe that there would be any benefit from that. And when it became financialized, he walked away. So for me, he's a role model, um, you know, and we don't talk as much um, these days. But we, I did do an interview that I just posted um, in the chat. Uh, with him for right click save last year and he's still as thoughtful uh, as ever and as creative as ever and i think the the work he makes and the way he thinks about the work he makes and the way he talks about it um you know there aren't that many other artists and i spend a lot of time with artists that that i think are are thinking on that level um and really you know, I think he's sort of protective of of his work and his ideas and, you know, just wasn't always happy about the the way the market dominated the conversation and, and how I think he's 
if you look at the the interview I did with him last year, I think, you know, he's probably right when he says most people aren't talking about the work. I mean, this most recent one that sold or didn't sell, I mean, I haven't followed these things as close as people think that I would, but I know there was like interest perked up again about a, a month ago um, in this. And, you know, I saw people saying like, oh, this is ho- this horrible work. Like it looks like sides of beef and it's so ugly or this, that, and the other. And I thought like, what a sad world if we think that art's always supposed to be like beautiful or something like that. Like what if every song had to be a pop song or whatever, like, and there's no metal or whatever, like there's no, like, you know, like the rate art in like music and all these things, like they're out there. Sorry for the lecture, everybody, but you're going to get it. Um, you know, art's not out there just to be pretty and, and like decorate your walls. And I, maybe that should be obvious, but apparently it's not because, you know, when people talk about the lost Robbies, they're like, well, it's like, it's not even pretty or whatever, you know? And I'm like, oh man. So like, I can't imagine that the pain um, of being the artist that was involved in this whole thing is getting better for him. Um, I think it's probably increasingly frustrating, but sometimes narratives have a way of sort of taking off on their own. I do know he thinks it's cool that the story continues to evolve. Um, And, you know, there's some collectors that, you know, have reached out and had like, non-financial art-related conversations and he appreciates that um of course but yeah it got bigger than any of us really quickly in ways that aren't weren't always respectful of his work um so i I don't know if that fully answers the question it's funny like in i mean you know like i bought one like earlier this year and i've always been fascinated by the story of it really more than anything and just sort of like the the arc the journey of you know, going to Christie's and being there and imagining what that must have been like and then still being in the space today and sort of like looking back and being like, wow, like from then till now, right? Super fascinating. And in my experience with the collectors of, of Lost Robbies, a lot of them have like similar interest in it. A lot of them think the art's really cool. A lot of them love the story. A lot of them love the sort of, you know, how everything like went down and how that's sort of reflected and encapsulated within the crypto space at large. The only people that I notice that are like, oh, this stuff is ugly or it's like trash art or like whatever are just sort of the people like with like fast fingers on Twitter. Um, So, yeah, you know, I guess like not to sort of refute like what you're saying, I totally get it. And and Robbie's point of view as well. But I just think it's like sort of uh, interesting to think about the people that are actually like buying this stuff and collecting it, like care a lot more than maybe the public narrative like would suggest. Yeah, I think that's great. And, And I, you know. I think it's great that there are collectors out there that are maybe buying it because they love the art. I'm sure there are collectors that are out there buying these works because they, I think rightfully so, see that it's an important part of history. Like even, to be fair, I'm sure there are collectors that don't necessarily love the art aesthetically. It's just not to their taste, which is fine too. Not everyone has to like the same art. But they look at it and they think, holy crap, this is when you know AI and NFTs and all this new tech came to the doorstep of the traditional art world and said here's the future and the traditional art world literally threw it away Uh, so you know that doesn't happen that often in history um and i I can see why people are attracted to these and see them as being valuable and the fact that they weren't shilled and sold for a million dollars each out the the get-go they were given away for free from sort of this more innocent time um you know i think they are historically significant i personally love the the art too and the aesthetic and the whole nude series um you know but i wouldn't blame people if there's a range of reasons we all collect and i think it would be silly to pretend otherwise some people collect because they love the art some people collect because they see a historical uh, significance you know to these things some people collect just to flip 
um, and for financial reasons. And a lot of people are, are variations on all three of those. Um, but I think there was a time where for the entire space, the, the primary dialogue was about, you know, how fast these things are going to go up in value and who's going to, you know, make lots of money. And there wasn't as much um, discourse around like the art and what the artist's intentions were and how to fit this art within uh, history and, and things like that. So, yeah, I think, you know, that doesn't discount anything that you've said. I think there's lots of different reasons to collect and ways to collect. Um, but I, I definitely feel like we went through a time period where talking about the financial aspects of it um, superseded talking about the art. And that's not just for Robbie. I think that was sort of, you know, across the board from my perspective. Is your view that like Robbie is legitimately like done forever in terms of like, I guess, NFTs? Uh, I, just, um, I just want to say... Go ahead, Gordon. Yeah, I actually spoke with Robbie. Uh, I, I was with him in Paris uh, a few months ago. And I just want to say, even though he's not doing NFTs, he's extremely active. He's still like creating art. He's exploring new things. He's evolving. He's growing. He's, um, you know, doing like very interesting experiments with like vintage arcades. Uh, he's also like uh, very much focusing on uh, um, uh, orthodox Christian orthodox iconography. So he's definitely an artist that's very, very, very active still today. Though, yeah, he might not do NFTs at the moment or maybe ever, but that does not really change anything in, in, in my mind just because I see him as an artist that's extremely active still and still like pushing his own practice and experimenting and doing new things. So yeah, I just have huge respect for, for his determination to his work. So, yeah, I just wanted to kind of yeah. say that. And uh, yeah, but Jason, if I may add, like, to what you said about the, you know, I think that not only the Robbies are valuable for all the reasons that you mentioned, but when we look at it now, now that we are in the age of DALI and, you know, all this AI that has become extremely sophisticated and that everybody's concerned and fascinated about, uh, he was a huge influence. Uh, he was such a young man. I think he was like 19 years old when he was doing this stuff. An incredibly serious artist. And he was such a huge influence on us, on Dada. We actually created Dada Gun because we were influenced by, by him. And, and, you know, he was using Gun, which was kind of like a generative um, autonomous uh, adversarial networks, which, which was kind of an old technology. So I think that it's also going to be historical because of uh, the time and the technology that he was using uh, to create this stuff. Um, and and they're, they're historically valuable and artistically and aesthetically valuable because of that as well. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think sometimes it's sort of ironic that we're talking about someone that stepped away, but sometimes that's the move, right? Um, the fact that when everything became financialized, he stepped back in some ways keeps it sort of pure in a weird way, right? Not to overemphasize it, overemphasize it. And yes, of course, he's super active still. He talks about a lot of the work um, that he was making in the, the interview that I have the, the link for. You know, it's maybe a weird connection and probably not one that Robbie would necessarily appreciate. But in my head, I'm thinking something similar with, you know, Rare Pepe's, the official Rare Pepe's, right around the time when NFTs got super lucrative and took off, they shut down um, the acceptance of new Pepe's, right? And there's something pure to me about Rare Pepe's too, sort of like, you know, um, rather than leaning in and trying to like extort as much money as possible at a time when things were growing and like capitalizing on the fact that they were so important early on um 
they they did the opposite, right? So in a, in a way, there's a parallel there, I think. And in both cases, there are some of the things that have survived and done quite well, despite all the hype and the up and down cycle. And I think it's because humans are good at at gauging intentions, um, right? And we can, you know, when we see things like that, there's a certain level of purity, I think, there. Yeah, I think I, for one, am somewhat appreciative of the fact that he's stepped away from NFTs because I had the opportunity to meet him in Paris when he had an exhibition there earlier this year. And um, I'm way priced out on Lost Rubbies. I missed the boat there, but I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to collect, you know, a physical piece. So um, <laughs> I've got no problem with him stepping away from NFTs from that selfishly. Um, but I'm also curious, you know, I did when I met him, I had an interesting conversation about kind of where things are heading in terms of AI art. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of strong opinions on both sides of this coin and it's evolving so rapidly. Um, I'd be really curious to get Jason's take on kind of all the new technology that's that's been popping up left and right, um, all the new tools that are at people's disposal. Um, does that, A, like a, make it more valuable for these artists that were kind of experimenting and building their own tools prior? And um, I guess, B, is where do you th see things heading kind of in the larger context of of, um, of history and the future? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I'm going to sort of give off the, the cuff response. Um, I think the fact that everybody can make art with AI now using text prompts and things like that um, assures that it'll be more relevant in at least in the short term and that it's something that everybody can do and there's lots of news coverage and things like that. Um, and anytime something has more relevance, its chance of surviving longer term, um, chances of surviving longer term are, are a bit better. There may be a parallel to where the NFT explosion in a, some ways like drew a lot of interest into NFTs and you could argue helped, you know, some of those earlier NFT artists. But then it, it also kind of when the waves went out um, from, you know, it grew too fast. And when the waves went out it kind of you know left us in the, the bear market that we're in so it's not all like sunshine and roses i think we might see something similar in ai where there's like so much work being made so fast by so many people that yes it's hyper relevant right now but it's it's sort of flooding i mean i don't know about everybody else but i'm kind of tired of it the the aesthetic a little bit like i love ai and there's certain ai artists in the space that i'm still interested in but it's so easy to make so many images so fast for so many people um, that I think it's, you know, it's, it just kind of naturally is going to play itself out a little bit. And I think we may see um, more of a back to basics where like people do go back to either GANs or other earlier models where they have maybe a little bit more like um, hands on with the tech, like get a little bit closer to the to the tech so that you can uh, make work that's varied or different in ways that require that level of understanding. Um, so it's not to, to diss or not prompt-based work. I know there are great artists that are doing interesting stuff there. Um, it's just the the barrier to entry for making that kind of work is a bit lower and no fault of the interesting artists that are out there, but lots and lots of people are pumping lots and lots of images out there and it, it's kind of a C and a little bit confusing to me. So we also see with AI in general, art, art aside, but certainly impacts art, There's uh, usually winters and summers, they call it, right, where AI becomes super, super hyped and overpromises things and gets really, really hot. And then, uh, you know, people kind of, um, it falls out of favor for, for years and years at a time when people realize it can't quite match the hype. And then it comes back when there's a new breakthrough. So 
I imagine AI art, you know, I've already made one comparison to how it's sort of similar to NFTs where it grew too fast and people got sick of it and it kind of died out a little bit, but it might, you know, it'll probably come back. I think it's similar in that it's cyclical, right? We know there's, we know there's cycles in crypto and we know the crypto cycles drive interest and disinterest in NFTs. And I think there's, well, there's definitely cycles in AI, you know, the winters and summers. And I think um, we'll probably see oversaturation um, to be, you know, while I'm throwing hot takes out there, I think we'll probably see oversaturation of uh, generative art too, right? It's just, it went from no one caring to everyone caring and like so much of it being put out there that will probably swing pendulum wise back to something that looks very different from that. Uh, and that's natural and normal, right? I don't think that's anything to be afraid of if you're a collector, or if you're interested in these things. Um, when things grow really fast, they eventually fade back out. And I think a lot of the ones we're talking about today have already shown to be cyclical uh, in nature. Yeah, and I think as stuff continues to get more redundant, it becomes more difficult to differentiate. That'll probably be a good thing in the long run because it'll continue to drive people to innovate and look for new ways to create art. Well said. Hey, awesome. did uh, Phantom have a question? I know Phantom jumped up. Um, did you have a question, man? Yeah, uh, thanks, guys. I just had a question about the uh, attendees that were at this event, right? Uh, I imagine that you couldn't walk in off the street, right, to attend this event. Uh, so, yeah, just if for those of you, I, it's been interesting hearing those of you that were at the uh, event. Uh, could you kind of tell me a bit more about, yeah, who would have been there at the time? Yeah, cheers. Gordon, I don't know if you're still listening, but, yeah, I'm curious how you heard about it. I know you attended. Um... <laughs> okay, I didn't, I didn't really share this uh, ever before, but basically... At the time, I was uh, uh, studying um, in London uh, in an art art school in Central Saint Martins, and basically, I was so furious when I heard that Rare AF was happening in New York because at the time, I just you know it was just uh, time wise and financially, it was a bit of a stretch to just fly to New York to attend the conference and come back. So I was like, like obsessively just monitoring when will something else happen like crypto art related in Europe you know because I was kind of uh, talking with many people and really kind of propagating and pushing these ideas especially because I did the uh, the TEDx uh, about crypto art and NFTs uh, before Christie's happened so a lot of people in Europe kind of I sensed there was something going to happen. So when I heard about it, I must say it was a very exclusive uh, crowd and it was actually I mean for me at the time, it was quite expensive to attend. I, uh, Jason, you probably know what was the price, but I think it was like $500 or something like, like that, maybe like 400 pounds, 300 pounds. I'm not sure, but I remember it was maybe even more, maybe even like 600. Uh, do you remember maybe, Jason? I don't. Um, as the speaker, I got to go for free. I wasn't paid um, and I had to fly myself out there, um, but uh-huh. I get in for free. But I remember some younger folks getting angry and being like well this sucks because we can't afford to to go you know yeah yeah it, it was it was quite expensive like i i even think maybe it was like around 600 pounds possibly like between 300 and 600 but basically 600 pounds at a time was like almost 800 dollars or something so it was like a lot of money which also kind of attracted mostly like very you know big collectors and very let's say, high-ranking people from the traditional art world. But I decided that not to stop me. So basically, 
I put on some nice clothes to fit in with the, you know, uh, elites. <laughs> and I managed to sneak into the event. <laughs> so that's actually uh, an honest story how I how I got in, you know. I wish I was invited or anything like that. But no, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to make this possible. And then, you know, once I was there, there was like a lot of people that you know, I knew and I was friends with, like, you know the founders of super rare and of course you jason like we were even talking before you came there we were supposed to go together but uh yeah basically i <laughs> i uh did that little oceans 11 uh, i love, mission. love love that you snuck in although to be fair to christie's whatever they charge the roi for the attendees is pretty good since they all got around <laughs> so, yes but... i was gonna say like we were saying you know we all went we all paid our way we you know accommodations way we were thinking this is christie's they couldn't even like spring for a plane ticket but of course we we were we were happy to to attend and i remember like at the end of the day we wanted to go have some dinner the people who were in the panel and and we asked i remember asking uh, some guy at christie's and and they looked at us he looked at me and they sent us to this terrible mexican restaurant <laughs> you know in the, they probably thought these people we cannot send them to any nice place let's just send them to to some horrible taco place which which was where we had like a lovely dinner but but it's true that there were there were i think that uh, apart from curators and art people like from the art side i was su surprised that there were all these art professional people that that had to do with what i said insurance appraisers uh, uh, you know, people who are like in the in the periphery of the art business or actually in the art business. So it was um, it was true that I remember it was probably like 600 pounds or, or, or so and uh, a, a very different crowd from from what we were used to. Yeah, Phantom, I would say too, like the people that I found, you know, who I tracked down who had not uh, crypto art nickels, definitely. Yeah, who found who who still had cards were either like Judy, you know, artists, or um, several gallery owners, you know, big time collectors. So it was kind of like along those lines, for sure. And, and by the way, maybe maybe uh, Jason, you want to share that picture? There is that picture from I believe from the Mexican restaurant floating around somewhere on on X. You know, we could you could share that again, or I'll hunt for it later and I'll share it in the thread later. Yeah, there's there's that great picture. I think that Jason took the picture, so he's not in the picture. I have a feeling that this is what happened. But it's uh, the Perkins, John Crane, Charlie Crane, Matt and John from CryptoPunks, and Bea and I, John Settler from Rare Art Labs. But I think you, you took the picture, Jason. Yeah, those you... tacos, man. They took those tacos forever. forever. And talk about uh, uh, crypto art. Um, taco table, you know, having the CryptoPunks guys and you guys and early Super Rare. That was fun. And I, I think I ended up going to a bunch of uh, questionable bars with John and John from Super Rare after two and Charlie. Uh, so, yeah, that was a fun night. There's your ROI right there. Exactly. Yeah, thanks. Lauren, uh, did you have one more question? I think we're going to take this last one and wrap it up. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me up. And um, Jason, thank you for sharing that email. And I wasn't aware of the lost Robbies until one came up uh, around the art tech conference this summer. And I just like loved deep diving into the story. I, I did my curatorial thesis on archetypal representation of the feminine. So I actually kind of love that, that early AI returned just a fleshy blob as opposed to, you know, 
uh, Lenza now like gives me cleavage if I'm wearing a turtleneck. <laughs> um, anyway, but I, I came up to to see uh, your perspective and like obviously anyone else who wants to add in, uh, like how you feel about the the physical that's attached to that art based NFT, the, the paper wallet in the case of the Lost Robbies. But uh, you know, I see Grant Yunus down there, and I I had this thought with his Station Three. Uh, patrons nfts i think there were a thousand and then 25 of them had prints so like when a print accompanies an art-based nft i know some artists will reissue prints for every new owner i'm just curious like what your personal perspective is because it, it varies um on where the value is is it the the digital should the digital and the physical stay coupled uh is the the physical the worth the paper that it's printed on kind of thing yeah, great questions. So um, I will say again, just to, to point out how quickly things have changed. When I used to say, and I even said it jokingly, uh, you know, 2019, 2018, hey, who knows, someday maybe the NFT will be even worth more than the, the physical. Everyone would have a good belly laugh. We'd all be like, oh, <laughs> as if, right? Uh, but clearly, you know, things have changed very quickly. Uh, I actually own the physical for nude number one. Um, it, you know, it was signed and gifted to me by uh, Robbie and his gallery. Or, and I value it amongst, like, my top things, you know, that I own. Um, so there's also this this uh, misunderstanding sometimes that people that collect digital art are, like, anti-analog. And nothing could be further from the truth. Um, you know, I love, love physical and analog art. Just feel like digital art was underrepresented. In terms of the relationship between the physical and the digital, I think this is an interesting one. I was working through an analogy in my head this morning that doesn't fully work, but I was saying, you know, it's almost like apples and apple pie, where you can turn an apple into apple pie, but you can't turn apple pie into an apple. So, like, what the heck do you mean, Jason? Like, what does that mean? Well, the unscratched card, you can scratch it and turn it into, like, the digital only, right, and kind of cast it aside. But you can't take an unscratched Lost Robbie and scratch re-scratchify it, right? So, like, one is actually a subset of the other. And if you think about it that way, the unscratched card to me is, like, no-brainer more valuable because there's nothing stopping you from scratching it, at which point it, it becomes the alternative, right? Um, but you can't do the reverse. Um, so, yeah, for me, you know, unscratched and, you know, obviously increasingly uh, rare, uh, too. The relationship between NFTs and physical art in general, for me, a lot of times that comes down to the artist's intention. Um, there was a push in the early years to almost subvert the NFT to the physical art, which is a natural response when everybody cares about physical art and no one cares about digital. It's like, I'm going to continue to do my physical things because that's what people understand. And you'll get this weird knickknacky, like cast aside NFT thing on the side, right? Um, but I think it shows how far we've come that um, it's reversed and people are very happy to collect digital art uh, alone. Um, but yeah, to, I guess to restate the, the part that I might've said too quickly there, I generally want to respect and acknowledge and understand the intent of the artist. And I tend to adopt uh, a similar uh, thought process to, to what their intentions were in terms of if you elevate the, the digital over the physical or the physical over the digital, the same way that maybe I think about whether or not display matters, specifics of display. So for some digital work, the artists have all kinds of really complex and sophisticated things display-wise that require you to be there in person. But for lots of digital work, it was just created on computer screens and people are happy to have you consume it on uh, a phone. So 
I would say it's case to case basis and largely based on the artist's intentions. And but in the case of the the scratchable cards and Robbie, um, to me, it's clear that the card would be unscratched card would be the better scenario since you can just go ahead and scratch it if that was your your you know preference. Only thing I would say on that would be the problem is that in theory you could potentially recoat a card, and the only way someone would actually know it was fake would be to scratch it. So by definition, they wouldn't scratch it, and you could say it was an unclaimed one. That's the only problem with that, as I see it. But I, yeah, I agree Vaughn, with you. I, I, I'll echo that too. I mean, I've had a bunch of collectors, you know, who wanted to purchase one but were unwilling to buy a non-scratch. Also, card for also that, for in that this risk. context, the the card was essentially the key to access the digital artwork. So I think that link between the physical and digital in this case is is very very strong. And I think actually the card is integral actually to accessing the the digital piece you know so i think in this case it's it's you know pretty pretty uh like both both are very impactful so i just want to state that i have the original card with mine (laughs) yeah i was gonna say it sounds like there's probably as many opinions as there are collectors um for for this particular one but yeah and of could the cards be forged that was another thing that i've i think i've been asked before oh yeah yeah, like all art can be forged, right? It's a massive problem. It's part of why a lot of us are drawn to the potential for NFTs to help, you know, strengthen provenance and things like that because it's a massive problem in the analog art world. And, you know, hopefully we can continue to build uh, on the infrastructure to figure out ways to make it harder to do in the digital art world. Yeah, great. Um, Obi, one more question and then we're definitely going to wrap it up. Oh, I guess he can't come on. Okay. Um, yeah, I think we'll just wrap it up here. Uh, definitely want to thank Jason and Adam today for coming on. Obviously, great trip down memory lane and learning about Robbie's and sequence of uh, of bringing this stuff uh, to the art world uh, from from ground zero. So that was really great. And, and thanks for sharing those stories and, and some of the folks that came up and, and also share their perspectives. Uh, you know, Gordon and everybody else. Um, so yeah, thanks everybody for for having uh, for joining us today. And special thanks to everyone who who jumped in and uh, we really look forward to next week's uh, episode where we're going to have Grant Yoon on. So look forward to that. I know he's in the audience today. Um, so thanks again. Have a great rest of your day. Take care. Thanks everyone. Take care. Thank you. Thanks guys. Cheers. Thank you.